I haven't met you yet, I'm Greg Nicholson, the lead pastor here at HCC, and I just want to welcome you all here this morning. Martha Stewart, some of you may know her, some of you may wish you didn't know her, but back when she was about to go into prison for five months, she was interviewed on the Larry King live show, and this was the question he asked her, what kept you going through it all? And her answer was, my work my ideas, my family, my friends, the constant evolutionary work of our company. I have it all. That's what's good. That's my support system. So what keeps you going when things are desperate? When things are going wrong in your business or maybe in your family or maybe it's just to do with friends? Like, Are you like Martha Stewart? Would you say, that your hope is in your family, your hope is in your business, your hope is in your friends. I don't believe that answer is good enough because a business won't fulfill you. Friends may turn away from you at some point or other. Family members aren't going to live forever and then you're left without that system of support. We'd better have something more substantial to sustain us during the desperate times than the temporary and undependable things of this world. Later in that same interview, Martha Stewart said, My life is my business, and my business is my life. And Larry King's response was, Isn't that kind of sad in a way? Like this man isn't a believer, but he realizes that we can't find purpose in life simply through those things that she has talked about. She, he realizes there needs to be something more than business. So for the summer months, we're going to be doing a study on the book of First Peter, a book written by the apostle of that name, and it's written about finding hope in life. And so in First Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an emissary of Jesus the Anointed One, to God's chosen people, living as aliens, scattered among the unbelievers in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So Peter is describing God's people as aliens. That means we're not actually full-time residents of this world. We're citizens of another kingdom. So he tells us that we shouldn't get too attached to this world. He also describes God's people as scattered. Like persecution had taken place in Jerusalem. There was all kinds of harassment. There was torture. Christians were being killed. So many of them had fled their homes in Jerusalem and scattered off throughout the Roman Empire. They could have so easily become discouraged because they had become Christians that should make your life wonderful, is what a lot of people think. But it only brought on trouble. It compounded their problems for them. Their lives are now unstable. Their future is uncertain. So Peter is writing to them to remind them of what their ultimate hope is. So this section should be important to us as well because most of us battle discouragement on occasion Maybe you're struggling with physical problems. Maybe you're struggling with family problems. Maybe you are struggling with financial stress or even the loss of a loved one. But even being a pastor doesn't exempt you from problems. But you would think, 
devoting your life to people and to telling them about Christ and bringing them to Christ is going to exempt you from problems. But I want you to know that's not the case. And we have some women in our church whose husbands are kind of cool toward Christianity. And I I talk to them, and you know what? Some of them say, if I was to choose to become a Christian, I would do that through your church. And I think, oh, that's kind of nice. At least it's it's going to be through us. But one husband who kind of likes me, when he heard that I had been diagnosed with colorectal cancer. This is what he said to his wife. He said, okay, that's it. I'm not going to have anything to do with the God who is going to give Greg Nicholson cancer. And I thought, wow, I'm so pleased that he stood up for me like that. But I was also very proud of the answer that his wife gave to him. And she said, it's nothing to do with Greg Nicholson. It's nothing to do with God causing anything to happen. And then she told him how Things happen to all of us. So we all need this study of 1 Peter, a letter of hope written to God's people who are living in times of despair. Now we're in a world that is totally indifferent to spiritual matters. So we can't rely on that world. We find that that type of attitude leaves us without direction. It leaves us without hope. It's been said that we can live for a month without food, that you can live for five days without water, you can live five minutes without air, but you can't live at all without hope. And that's what we need. So we're going to look at how we can be hopeful in a spiritually indifferent world. We are God's people, and we're part of his victorious kingdom. Moving along into the second verse of our scripture who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. There are two concepts in that verse that help us to know that we have continual hope as Christians. We were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Remember what it was like when you were a kid and you were trying out for a sports team? Might have been soccer, might have been hockey, ringette, could have been baseball. And to hear your name chosen to be a part of that team was an honor. Like, I never got caught. Actually, I did once. I, I went to Mount Allison University for a year as an 18-year-old, and I didn't make the hockey team. But every other team I made. And back in high school, I was trying out for the hockey team, but also a midget team at the same time. So the first uh, names were listed there, the first cuts were made, and my name wasn't on it. So I went to the coach, who was my physics teacher, and I said, what's going on? And he said, well, I thought you were going to play major midget. And I said, no, I'm just going to stick with high school. Okay, so he puts my name on the list. Then we had the final cuts, and I looked again, and my name wasn't there. So I go back to called him Link, should have called him Mr. McKenzie. And I said, Link, why isn't my name on the list? It's right there, Paul Cudmore. Not Paul Cudmore, I'm Greg Nicholson. (laughs) He confused me with somebody else. But So I was humbled a little bit through that experience, but we are proud when our names are called. You've been chosen by the creator of the universe to be part of his kingdom. 
And some use the term chosen to suggest that God chooses that he's going to save some and then not save others. But that's not what it means. To be chosen is to be given the opportunity to accept the gospel message, to respond to it. But you still have the option to accept or reject the invitation. There's a big difference between predestination and foreknowledge. Pre means to actually cause something to happen in advance. Fore means to know that something is going to happen because of superior wisdom. Now, when it comes to my wife and my involvement with sports, I have a superior wisdom. I know if I'm going to say, Pat, is it okay if I stay up late to watch an NHL hockey game? She's not going to respond in a favorable way. But I did get away with it a little bit when I was recovering from surgery. But God knows our nature so thoroughly that one man said he knows our biography even before it's written. So look at Romans 8 with me, verse 29. And he has always known who his chosen ones would be. He had decided to let them become like his own son so that his son would be the first of many children. So God could see in advance that you would choose him. And once you became a Christian, he predestined the circumstances that would help you grow in your faith so that you would become more like his son, Jesus Christ. So he chose you. And then it says that we are sanctified to walk in obedience. And that sanctification is by the Holy Spirit. To be sanctified means to be set apart. It's to be different. So God has a specific plan for you. And it doesn't matter how mundane or insignificant your life might seem to be. God has a plan for using you and his kingdom. Now, right now, you might not understand what that plan is. You might even be totally confused about what that plan might be. But he has a plan, and be confident that his will is going to be fulfilled in you. One great example of that is in the Old Testament. And it was when the nation of Israel were finally escaping from slavery in Egypt. And they had arrived at the shores of the Red Sea, And Pharaoh's army were coming after them. They were coming to kill them. And there was panic. But then God caused this great wind to blow, and it parted the waters of that sea. And over a million Israelites crossed safely, and the Egyptian army was drowned. And you're thinking, okay, God rescued them from their predicament. But then we wonder, you know, why didn't he do it a week earlier? Why didn't they arrive at the Red Sea and here's this beautiful path already prepared for them? I believe it was because he wanted them to learn to trust in him. He wanted to teach them that. And then they would give him the glory. The Bible says that in the last days, the kingdom of God will appear overwhelmed by the world. Evil people are going to seem to be worse and worse. It's going to look like God is losing in all of this. But at the last minute, Jesus will return in power and he will triumph over his enemies and he will put those enemies under his feet. So that gives me hope. That says that life isn't meaningless. That says that every day of my life matters, that it is significant. Even the days when you look like this. Now, this is a picture of me two days after my surgery. 
we talk about autobiographies and we talk about biographies. An autobiography is a book written by someone about themselves. So there are auto-selfies and selfies. This isn't an auto-selfie. This is one that my wife took of me with my camera. I couldn't open my eyes because my pupils were so small from the dilated that I was on. But even on days like that, I know that God is with me and that he is the one that I can give the glory to. The world is moving toward a dramatic conclusion and Jesus Christ is going to emerge as the King of Kings. So belong to him and you will reign with him. When Harvard University is losing in a football game, the student body actually has a cheer that they've developed. And so when Harvard's getting stomped on again and another touchdown has been scored by the opposition and their fans are all going crazy, this is the cheer they say. They say, uh, get it right now, that's all right, that's okay, you're going to work for me someday. <laughs> and they do that every time. And you know, when Satan is appearing to be gaining the victory and you're tempted to be discouraged, remember, like every knee will bow someday. Satan is going to lose big time in all of this. Jesus is going to reign. And the key question is, are you a part of him? We've also been born again and we're guaranteed eternal life in heaven. But how does this born again thing come about? Look at verses 3 and 4. Blessed is God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One, because he has raised Jesus, the Anointed, from death. Through his great mercy, we have been reborn into a living hope. When you were born into this world, you inherited the sin nature of Adam and Eve. You will sin. Technically, we could say no to it, but you will. And the sin separates you from God. And unless you're born again by the Spirit of God, you have no hope of getting into heaven. So the key question is, how and when are we born again? The first Peter one twenty three answers that. You have been reborn, not from seed that eventually dies, but from seed that is eternal, through the word of God that lives and endures forever. So the first step is to hear the word of God. It's to listen to that word. It's to accept the testimony about Jesus as being true. And the second step is to respond in obedience. You choose to repent of the sin in your life. You choose to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and confess your belief in him before others. And then you choose to be baptized into him. See, when the seed of a husband is received into the womb of his wife, the miracle of life begins. And then nine months later, her water breaks and new life emerges. That baby is born into this world. So when the seed of the word of God is received into your heart, the miracle of new spiritual life begins. And you know that something really special is going on here. And then that develops in you. The word of God keeps to grow in you until one day you decide that you are going to turn your life toward him and be baptized into him. But Titus 3 verse 5, he saved us because of his mercy and not because of any good things that we have done. 
God washed us by the power of the Holy Spirit. He gave us new birth and a fresh beginning. God sent Jesus Christ, our Savior, to give his Spirit. Jesus treated us much better than we deserve. He made us acceptable to God and gave us the hope of eternal life. Like Dr. Buford Bryant said this, he said, the baptistry is a tomb and a womb. It's a tomb when we kind of die to ourselves and a womb when we are born again into the kingdom of God. So once you've been born again, you have a hope alive that lives and endures forever. Like all the other hopes that we have are dying hopes. But when you become a Christian, your hope is in Jesus Christ. So that means it's something that's going to endure through a downsizing business. It's something that's going to endure through a relationship breakup. It's something that will endure through rebellious children, aging bodies, and the eroding values that we see in the world around us. That spirit within us enables us to endure through all of that. And we know that we have an inheritance, as the Bible tells us, that will never perish, it will never spoil, it will never fade. It's reserved in heaven for us. Now, I hope you're like me when you travel and you like to have an advance reservation at a motel, hotel, or whatever when you are going to a certain town. It just feels so great to be driving up to a hotel and the big sign is there, uh, no vacancy, but you have a reservation. You know that they're holding the room for you. Even if you're kind of late, even though if it's early in the morning, you know that your room is still there. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. So there is actually a suite in heaven. It's not just a room, but it's a, it's a whole suite with a jacuzzi in the corner and all that stuff. And it was paid for you in advance by the blood of Jesus Christ. And whether you check in early at the age of 10 or maybe at the age of 90, it doesn't matter. That reservation is still being held. That suite is there for you. That hope alive keeps you going and gives you confidence when things seem to be falling apart. You know, that hope also tells us that we're protected by God and exempt from any unnecessary pain. In verse 5, Peter wrote, Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Shielded by God's power. What does that mean? Some of us drove motorcycles a little bit when we were younger, some of you more. And there was a shield on the front of that motorcycle which protected us from the direct wind as we were driving. Also protected us from getting bugs in the face, but it still didn't protect us from accident. And God is a shield to us as well. But that doesn't mean that he shields us against all suffering. But he does shield us against the vicious, head-on attacks of Satan that would destroy us and would render us incapable of fulfilling his will. There's a tremendous example in the Old Testament, and it's with a character named Job. And God spoke, excuse me, Satan spoke to God one day. And he said, okay, this guy Job, there's no wonder that this man is such a good person. You've put a hedge of protection around him and everything he has. If he lost that protection, I'm sure that he would curse you to your face. 
So God said, okay. And he lowered that hedge of protection a little bit, but Satan wasn't allowed to touch the person of Job. He was able to touch his belongings. So he ended up losing his children. He lost all his wealth. He still didn't curse God. So Satan comes back again. Oh, yeah, the only reason he's not cursing you is because you won't let me touch his body. So once again, God lowered that hedge a bit more. He said, okay, you can inflict his body, but you can't take his life. So there was still some protection there. But God allowed that in order to prove Job's faith. We are often shielded by God's power and and don't even know it. And I wonder how many times God has put a hedge around us and we're totally oblivious to that fact. Because Satan's goal is to kill, steal, and destroy. And I'm convinced that the attacks would be more vicious if Satan was allowed to do what he wanted, if God wasn't actually restraining him. Maybe there's a crippling virus that your child could catch and an angel comes along and just kind of sweeps that away. Or maybe you're alone in a deserted parking lot at night and a mugger has you picked out. But just as he starts to approach you, he hears a siren in the distance. Like, there are so many times when teenagers like growing up and after they get their license, many people have said, I don't know how I survived my teenage years. And maybe God was there just kind of directing you through all of that. If we really understood how much God shielded us, instead of complaining to him about the things that are going wrong in our lives, we would be thanking him for the great shield that he has put up for us. And then our hope gives us meaning in suffering and makes us thankful that it's temporary. Verses 6 and 7. You should greatly rejoice in what is waiting for you, even if now for a little while you have to suffer various trials. Suffering tests your faith, which is more valuable than gold. And remember that gold, although it is perishable, is tested by fire, so that if it is found genuine, you can receive praise, honor, and glory when Jesus, the anointed, our liberating king, is revealed at last. So to be shielded by God's power doesn't mean that we are going to be exempt from all pain. God allows suffering that has a purpose. Job's suffering enabled him to prove that his faith was genuine. The apostle Paul, he had a thorn in the flesh that actually kept him humble. And God allows pain that he deems necessary to strengthen us, to comfort others, maybe to force us to rely on him, and maybe to help us appreciate the suffering of Jesus. Though none of us are going to stand in a lineup, hands up, and volunteer for suffering, when it does happen and we find strength through him, we see that it has a positive purpose in our life. So we can have hope in suffering because it's meaningful and it's temporary. But you can put up with it, knowing that it has a purpose, knowing that it will pass. And perhaps you're going through a lot right now. Perhaps you're hurting. Maybe you're discouraged and you're thinking, well, am I ever going to be happy again? Don't lose heart. Don't quit. Continue to keep your hope in the Lord and he'll see you through it. Like Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians 4. You see... It's coming. You see, the short-lived pains of this life are creating for us an eternal glory 
that does not compare to anything we know here. So there's just nothing else that we can compare God's glory to. So he's temporarily using this pain to deepen you. And Paul referred to it as gold. Gold is refined by fire. It's painful, but in the end, it's going to be more valuable and virtuous. A woman once told about her early experience in nursing training, and she said it was in the burn unit of a children's hospital, and she was told to take a scrub brush, and that's a scrub brush, not a nice little soft cloth or anything, to the badly burned arms of an 18-month-old child that was screaming in excruciating pain. And she was hesitating in, in, in brushing at that dead skin, but the doctor showed her a picture of another patient with similar burns who didn't have all that dead skin scraped away. And the arms were scarred and they were all drawn up and the kid actually had no use of that arm. So she realized that even though it was excruciating for the child, it was essential for the skin to become supple again. So sometimes there is some pain that we go through and it's necessary in order for us to grow and to heal. In verses 8 and 9, Peter wrote, Although you haven't seen Jesus, you still love him. Although you don't yet see him, you do believe in him and celebrate with a joy that is glorious and beyond words. You are receiving the salvation of your souls as a result of your faith. So we know that's the end goal of all that we face in this world. It's the salvation of our souls. And a writer by the name of Warren Wearsby said, When you're in the furnace and God's refining you, he keeps his hand on the thermostat and his eye on the clock. And he's not going to allow you to go beyond what you can handle. There's one last reason for hope. And that's the fact that we have knowledge of the gospel and we understand God's overall plan. So picking up in verse 10, some prophets told how God would be to you. And they searched hard to find out more about the way you would be saved. The Spirit of Christ was in them and was telling them how Christ would suffer and would then be given great honor. So they searched to find out exactly who Christ would be and when this would happen. We are privileged to have a full understanding of God's plan of salvation, but the Old Testament prophets actually didn't have that. They were privileged to speak about the coming Messiah. They even used some figurative language like he was going to be a lamb led to the slaughter, yet they didn't fully understand their own predictions. In verse 12, but they were told that they were serving you and not themselves. They preached to you by the power of the Holy Spirit who was sent from heaven, and their message was only for you, even though angels would like to know more about it. So even the angels didn't fully understand what was taking place here until it unfolded. So when the angel Gabriel stood before Mary and told her that she was going to give birth to the Son of God, He never understood all of what was going to take place with Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. And the angels in heaven, they didn't know all about it either because 10,000 angels saw Jesus being brutalized by those Roman soldiers and they were drawing their swords. They were ready to go down into battle, but God restrained them. 
So even the fallen angel Satan didn't fully understand it all because when he got Jesus to the point of death, he thought he'd won. This is the victory. He didn't understand that there was going to be a resurrection back to life. In Revelation 12, 12, the heavens should rejoice together with everyone who lives there, but pity the earth and the sea because the devil was thrown down to the earth He knows his time is short, and he is very angry. So he is totally infuriated because of this. But what was hidden from the prophets and from the angels and from Satan has now been revealed to us. We understand that Jesus' body was hurt because of us. We understand that our wrongdoing crushed him. We understand that Jesus' pain was our glory. So the cross was his finest hour. God can make all things work together for good. Just a short time after that interview with Martha Stewart, Johnny Erickson Tata was a guest on that same program. And it was a tremendous contrast. Martha Stewart, rich, famous. Many women envied her and wanted to be her. While Johnny Erickson was imprisoned in a body that was paralyzed from the chest down. And King was asking her some questions about her mouth painting. And this is what she said. Mouths weren't meant to hold pencils or brushes. Hands were. I look forward to heaven so much because not only will I paint murals, but I'll have the use of my hands back. And I'll really jump up, dance, kick, do aerobics. And I hope I can... Take this wheelchair to heaven with me, although I know that's not going to happen, but let's just say I could. I would be standing there next to my Savior, Jesus Christ, and I would say, Lord, do you see this wheelchair? Well, before you send it to hell, I want to tell you something about it. You were right when you said, in this world, we would have trouble. And there's a lot of it being a quadriplegic. But you know what? The weaker I was in this thing, the harder I leaned on you, and the stronger I discovered you to be. Thank you for the bruising of a blessing that it was. If your hope is in your business, if it's in your family, in yourself, in your status, then that's not going to be enough. That's not going to take you on into eternity. God chose you to hear his word today and he invites you to be born again. He invites you to be set apart from everyone else in this world, set apart for his purpose. He has a place in heaven for you. You just need to choose to accept that. We're going to stand together and sing a song and if you want to make that decision, you can come and greet me over here at the side where I'll be standing or you can talk to me afterward.